everybody. Welcome back to Girls Like Us. This is the podcast that begs the question, what does a degree in literature get you? And tries, attempts, strives to answer it by saying, a podcast about books for children. Um, hopefully Camden cut it out, but I did mess up the intro first because I'm looking at today's text while also think like where the title is a question while also thinking mm-hmm. of the question that we start at the beginning of our podcast and it's just like way too confusing for me. Um, but before we get to that, Franny, my mm-hmm. dear co-host, I want to know, did you make any New Year's resolutions? You know, Sophie, um, I this is like has kind of just been like a thing I've wanted to do through COVID and I'm sure I'm deciding more to do it this year because I have more of the tools and time to do so. But I want to kind of start trying to make more of my own clothes instead of buying new clothes. Because you know me, like, I try mostly to buy secondhand, but that wild fable calls my name. And honey, I could be making those little little wild fable smock dresses on the cheap. Yeah. And I do have to say, my I was in a Target recently with my sister— and we, of course, went to the Wild Fable section, and it's not mm-hmm. hitting like it was like six months ago. No. Like this current, they've wave aged of, out of it. I, I don't think it's that. I think that it's just like we 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 were part of it. The Wild Fable mm-hmm. market got oversaturated, and now I'm sure all of the good stuff is getting picked through before, like yeah, you know, girls like us can get there. Yeah, we shouldn't have talked about it as much as we did because I'm sure we're definitely why. Yeah, this is definitely because of us. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. But that's a really great, I'm really glad to hear that. Yeah. The, and the other thing, this isn't a resolution, but I've been doing the Yoga with Adrian 30-day challenge. Ooh, which, I didn't know this. You know what? It's because my mom's a yoga teacher. Um, so, and I do like Yoga with Adrian, And it's hard, but it's worth it to see her dog. Because not to be like normie about it, but her dog is very, very cute. Really? Yeah. What kind of dog is it? He's a blue healer which I'm okay. sure is a very expensive dog, but his name's Benji and he's very cute. And uh, it's, uh, you know, yoga's hard, but um, I don't know. It's, I still like, I feel like it's helping me with like my, it's less of like a workout than something that can aid me in like more of my running stuff. Cause my yes. hips are just like crazy freaking tight. So girl, I feel you. I yeah. went to uh, like back before, like at the very beginning of first semester, I went to some workout classes with a law school friend of mine, and I was showing her when we were warming up before the class, I was, like, squatting, like, in, like, a mm-hmm. plie position, and I was, like, to my friend, I was, like, this is literally how deep my hips go. Like, this is how tight my yeah. hips are. And she, like, she's a former, um, like, she used to teach bar classes, mm-hmm. and she was, like, oh, my God. Like, she was, like, shocked at how tight my hips were. So I, I definitely feel you there. Yeah, I yeah, I'm really I'm really excited for your for your clothes making journey. I also am like trying to like not buy things. Of course, yeah. This Friday, I have already made plans to go to Sephora because my uh, lovely lovely boyfriend's mother bought me a one of her Christmas gifts to me was a hundred dollar Sephora gift card. So I am going to go there and like go absolutely feral for probably an hour and a half. You know what? And this also isn't a resolution, but this reminds mm. me of this. I. 2022 is the year that I buy a real perfume for myself. I have Rex. And I want to find a perfume I really like. Irex? I, no, I, I said I have Rex. Oh, you have Rex. I was like, what's this? <laughs> Irex, Irex is the official perfume of Ibo. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would I would love to hear them. And I also want to know what you're going to buy uh, with that sweet hundo at Sephora. Um, so first of all, I love the Gucci Bloom perfumes. There's multiple scents. So go and try all of them. Um, mm-hmm. They smell really good. They're like very subtle, very fresh. Um, I also would say, and bear with me now, this is less expensive, but the there's an Ariana Grande perfume. There's multiple Ariana yeah. Grande perfumes, but there's one called like Cloud, maybe, mm-hmm. that my yeah. neighbor back in Chicago bought like a year ago. And I remember she came into my apartment and I was like, girl, bring that bottle down here. I want you to spray it all over my stuff. Like, yeah. she smelled so good. Um, I can't, like, I- I'm just excited. Oh, the My Son Margiela perfumes um, mm-hmm. are really good. Um, I think they carry those at Sephora. So definitely just like go and like yeah. put some headphones on and just like spend like I would like go on a weekday and spend like 45 mm-hmm. minutes to an hour um yeah. testing the perfumes. I think that would be a really, just really sniffing. great afternoon for you. Yeah. I don't necessarily have any re- resolutions. I'm trying to well, first of all, after we record tonight, I am gonna delete TikTok off of my phone because Okay, that's good. I don't want to I had to do it just it. for my own mental health because it does target if you're anxious about anything and then you watch a video on it, TikTok will literally like serve you uh that over and over again. When did you delete it? Um before the holidays. And oh. it's hard because now I open my phone and I know that this is, I'm sure, a problem that everyone has. But it's like, what do I check now? Reels. I'm trying to replace it with, ugh, dude. I deleted Instagram too. I, I still, do that. I still like check it in my browser to, uh, I guess if I get messages. Yeah, I don't know, but I, um, uh, yeah, dude. I'm trying to replace it with the word thing from New York Times, like the oh yeah spelling bee or whatever. But that's just that's simply not as satisfying. Watch no. me get hooked on shorts. I'm to trying to find like- YouTube. Yeah, literally. I'm trying to, like, carry a, a small— Like, the book we read for today is very small, and mm-hmm. I think we both love that about this book. Yeah. And so I'm trying to carry a small paperback book with me at all times because that is the one thing I have found that gets me away from my phone is that I can genuinely yeah. sit down and fully focus on a small paperback book, but it has to be small because my small feminine hands, like, literally will start to shake if it's a big book. Um, yeah. And usually you wanna, carry the dictionary around, so that's kind of, like, a change for you. Exactly. So I, that's my yeah. resolution is to, to lighten my load when it comes to books. I just, I really do. I, you're, because you deleted TikTok before the holidays, you're not embroiled in the latest TikTok controversy, which truly is the thing that is causing me to delete it forever. What's happening on uh-huh. TikTok right now, basically, I just will explain very briefly. They, um, there is a person, like one of the, like we have talked about these people on the podcast maybe on the podcast before, we've talked about them personally, Uh, people who have um, DID, dissociative identity disorder, um, Mm -hmm. making TikToks. Basically, all of TikTok has teamed up to bully one of these people. And it's Mm. absolutely— And I'm guessing the person in question being bullied is 14 years old. Around that. And it's really, like, it's one of those things where, like, clearly, like— you know, there's something, like, clearly, like, it's Mm -hmm. a, you know, a sort of, it's a performative situation, but hundreds and thousands, if not millions of adults making TikToks, making fun of this person, 
like, it's truly, truly, like, the— it feels as if the comet is on its way, and, like, this is what is going to cause God to, like, smite all of us, because it's, like, the absolute worst thing ever. And I can't—you cannot—at least for me, and I know, like, my sister— who also still has TikTok, like, it's literally unavoidable on your For You page. Like, I have not interacted with any of it. I have not sought out any of it. It's, like, all of my For You page is people making fun of this poor teenager. And I'm, like, that is, it's so bad. It's, like, not funny. That's terrible. And it's, like, just so depressing. And I'm the first to make fun of people. (laughs) Like, well, it's, it's one of those things where it's, like, and we've said it once, you know, we'll say it again, like, uh, teens should not have access to social media no. in the way that they do now because certainly uh, if if we were 14, we would have been bullied on on TikTok. Mm. And luckily we were just bullied on Tumblr, which is right. seems much more anonymous because your face isn't attached to yeah. it. So exactly. I don't know. It's, yeah, that that is, uh, that's unfortunate. And yeah, that always, I don't know. That's That's always, I also had to ask myself, like, if I had like, anxiety raised by something on TikTok, like not like some like moral quandary or something. I'd be like, wait a minute. Am I the type of person who would make a video about this issue? Like, <laughs> yeah, do you, no. like I'm like, why am I taking my advice or like worrying about myself from um, people who spend most of their day like getting money from teens? I yeah. And speaking of teens on the internet, I did start doing something yesterday just because I felt pressured by the masses is that I I did start watching Euphoria. Oh, I have to season say, two? Well, I haven't seen season two. I'm like almost done with season one. I don't have any, like, I'm not morally against Euphoria. I'm not like, you know, like, oh, like these kids should be in college. Why are they in high school? Like, I'm not an idiot. Like Euphoria is kind of the, it's kind of the modern day equivalent of the book we read today, wouldn't you say? It definitely is. I just have to say, how do people watch, like genuinely, if you're a listener, I want to hear from you. How do you watch this show? Because to me, one, it's like all of these different plot lines. There's like 25 different kids. I cannot tell the kids apart. No, all, all the, the kids look different. Look the same. Like the like three like bitchy girls, they look the same. Franny, they all look different. I swear to you, but I still cannot tell them apart. I don't know who is who. I don't know who's dating who. None of the storylines interact. And at the same time, all each of the storylines, like it'll be it'll be an episode with an A plot, a B plot, and a C plot. Mm. Each one is more depressing and horrendous and the worst possible thing you could ever think of happening to you or a loved one. Like each A plot, B plot, C plot, it gets worse as you go down the line. And it's literally like torture porn. I don't understand it. I'm like, how, like, okay, one, the one scene I enjoyed was Sydney Sweeney getting fucked on a sink. I could watch that for 24 (laughs) hours on a loop. Everything else, I'm like, this is so fucking depressing. I can't handle, it's like, Literally think of the worst possible thing that could happen, and that's the A-plot of a Euphoria episode. Like, it's just yeah. horrible. I can't I started, take it. I tapped out pretty quickly. I started it, and then I was like, well, this makes me depressed. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's like, and I think it's one thing to watch depressing adult moments, but a depressing teen moment um, is a lot for me. Yes. Um, but it's, you know what I will give it com- commendation on? The needle drops. The it's needle drops? good need- needle drops. Are fun. Yeah. However, even the people you are not supposed to feel bad for, I find myself 
we like yesterday, like we watched the episode where the Barbie Ferreira character, which I love her. I think that I love all the outfits on the show. I love how they dress Barbie's Ferreira. Mm-hmm. Like she looks incredible. She her whole character's thing is that she starts camming. And she gets yeah. on like to do her first like one-on-one cam session. And the guy is like this like like older, like overweight gentleman who has like a really small penis. And like you're supposed to be like, oh my God, this disgusting dude, haha. I was weeping because I felt so horrible for this man being like, yeah. like being so like having like feeling so bad about himself that he was like literally then kinked for feeling bad about himself. I was literally standing in my kitchen making dinner for Nick and I weeping because it made me so sad that this man was like having to seek the services of this teenager on camp. Like it's just, the show doesn't work for me. Yeah. You know, you know, Sophie, um, I'm going to combine, I'm going to suggest that we combine Euphoria with the current show, which season that just came out that I'm watching right now of Queer Eye. And maybe the Fab Five can go and queer eye that guy. Yes. Um, okay. Who is seeking out camp services of a of a teenager? I think. Yeah. I think maybe they can help him, and they can like at the very least make kind of his his camming space look a little better, so that like maybe she'll be impressed and she'll be like, okay, this is a guy who's like living a real job, right? You know. Yeah. yeah. Actually, Franny, that's a really he good can idea. Do the tan tuck under his his penis. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a really great. I literally that just like brightened the whole mood for me. Yeah. Like, if every if every Euphoria episode ended up with like like four of the side characters getting queer eyed yeah. and like Jonathan coming in and like sitting eye to eye with them and having like a deep conversation, I probably would feel much better about the whole thing. Because as of now, I'm like, yeah. I want to be solution oriented with the euphoria problems. Like, give me, give me things yeah. these people can do to make it better. Like right now, exactly. it's just all sad. Karamo needs to come in and be like, okay, here are all your, like, like lead a school assembly and be like, here are all your problems represented as blocks. Now we're going to break through them. I do have to tell him <laughs> yes. my grandma very quickly, who I, I am sure is not listening to this, just said, I told her, I was like, oh, I think you would like it because she likes makeover and like home makeover shows. And I guess she told my mom, she was like, well, I don't know. I can't tell which of them are dating. And my mom was like, none of them are dating. <laughs> and <laughs> she was like, okay. <laughs> she was like, I don't but believe she, you. She but she likes okay. it. Yeah. That's really funny. Yeah, I mean, like, I—sorry, but I am always—I'm not going to watch the new season of Queer Eye because I am at a place in my adult life now that I I don't have time for that. But Mm -hmm. I would much rather watch that than finish Euphoria. Yeah. Speaking of, like, children— (laughs) Speaking of children and sex, let's uh, get into uh, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Not yeah. sex, I guess. Well, Puberty. Uh, you know, sex organs. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I, yesterday, I was going to buy this book on my Kindle, but yesterday I was in the airport coming home from my parents' house in Colorado, mm-hmm. and I was like, I we had a bunch of time before our flight, so I was just kind of, like, went and got a giant Diet Coke from McDonald's, which is my new thing, by the way. I've turned into a, I go to McDonald's and order a giant Diet Coke type of yeah. mentally ill. Um. I did that when I was, like, moving in um, last mm. month. Um, there's, like, a McDonald's equidistant from my old place and, and my new place, and I would oh. often stop and just get a giant Sprite 
or a giant Coke, depending on the time time of night. And that yeah. is like the one vice. Like truly, if I had to choose just one vice to indulge in for the rest of my life, it would be soda. Soda yeah. is so fucking good. And I'm such a I soda know. girl. It's really like I never, like if I am living my life on the plane that I, I want to be living it on, I'm never engaging with soda. Mm-hmm. However, when I got like really stressed out during finals, I really slid back into the Diet Coke game Mm -hmm. and like one day I was meeting with my study group um and we were all meeting I was staying at my aunt's house and so they were all coming over to meet me at my aunt's house and my friend Nathan on the way stopped and bought me a giant Diet Coke and when I opened the door to let him in and I saw he was holding it I literally like I had been working all day and I literally was just like started weeping I was like yeah I like nothing, and like ice cream wouldn't even do that to me. And I love right. ice cream. It's like the feeling of Diet Coke. Now, is Diet Coke something that? Because I know a lot of people who genuinely prefer Diet Coke to regular Coke. What it were? Did you have to like train yourself on that, or have you always just liked Diet Coke better? I've always liked Diet Coke better. It's like I think it's yeah. a, like you're either born with that chip in your brain or you're not. I can't drink. It's regular like the cilantro aspartame yes. thing, or is it? Is it regular Coke can feel too sugary? Regular Coke is disgusting to me. I have a sip of it and I'm like, this is disgusting to me. Mm. Even like Diet Pepsi. Like if I have a sip of Diet Pepsi, I'm like, this is gross. Like, yeah. don't give this to me. It's like specifically Diet Coke, and even more specifically, a giant Diet Coke with a lot of ice from McDonald's. Mm. That's like, good shit. Even Wendy's is not hitting the same. I regret yeah. to say. Yeah. But anyway, I was walking around with my giant Diet Coke and I went into the bookstore at the airport being like, there's no way they're going to have this book. Like, it's one of those tiny mm-hmm. little, like, hole-in-the-wall bookstores. And wouldn't you know, the entire young adult section was just this book. And, and it was, like, $8. And I was like, mm-hmm. what a good, what a good deal. Yeah. I'm going to buy this. And of course, I was able to read the whole thing on the plane because it's super short. But as I went up to buy it, I like, there were like three people our age working Mm -hmm. the cash register, which it's a tiny little store. Why are there three of you back there? Is someone training? Um, Mm -hmm. And I went up and the woman, I gave the book to like the one girl who was working the cash register. And she looked at me and she was like, do you know this is a kid's book? And I was like, yeah. Do you know that I uh, co-host the podcast that begs the question, what does a degree in children's literature or in literature get you? And I literally, Franny, when I tell you, it was like, I had like a, like, I had like a very kind of like Karen adjacent moment where mm-hmm. I was like, I make money doing a podcast about these. <laughs> and I was like, I, this is my job. This is my Honey, business. Do you work on commission? Yeah. (laughs) Because if you don't, you're not going to be getting this uh, 0.005 cents that you would have gotten from this. I was like, big mistake. Huge. Like, it was like I had been awake for way too long. And it Mm -hmm. really, like, I do have, I guess, like, I I must have an insecurity about when I go into stores to physically buy the books that we're reading. Mm -hmm. Because immediately, like, my, like, inner like demon came out where I was Your just rage like rage goblin. Yeah. Like it was like, and it wasn't like, I wasn't mean, but I was like very direct being like, this is my business. <laughs> I am a CEO. <laughs> I literally was like, I can't take, I was like, 
even criticism from a person in the who works in the Denver airport who is my age who I'm never going to see again. Like, yeah. I can't, I can't handle it right now. Like, I need to like, yeah, like do like an own on this person. It was like it was a very dark hour for me. I, um, I I don't know if I brought this up, but I similarly had a thing where I went to the library to get the uh, Pretty Little Liars holiday book. And like, mm. for whatever reason, they were reshelving some of the teen shelves and it wasn't out on the shelf. So I had to go to the desk to ask for it. And it really felt like I was getting porn or something. Because I do think <laughs> that we're in the age group where it's like, and we are reading them ourselves, which is fine, but we can't be like, it's for my little sister. And we just have right. to own that. We have to own that, that we're... We are, this is our business, honey. Yeah. Karama would tell us to own it. And that's it's what we It's just weird. Do. I think it was especially triggering for me with this book because, like, this book is about, like, a girl and, coming <laughs> into, like, sexual maturation. And you don't know what your period is. And you don't know I don't. what that is. So and I refuse to I learn. I understand. Yeah. And I just, I kind of felt like a pervert. Like, that question yeah. made me feel like I was somehow, like, doing something, like— wrong and I, I yeah. don't know the whole thing I was at least just like, you weren't buying forever the other one of the other Judy Bloom books yeah which does explicitly have sex in it which we yeah. should read because I think yeah. it's I think it's small like this one and god do I love a small book as I've said 16 times since we started recording yeah. this um so this book uh was published in 1970 which like you gotta love it because it really mm-hmm. does still hold up something that I find interesting is that uh, I think we talked about it when we talked about Gossip Girl, but this is one of the most censored books ever. Mm-hmm. It's on that list with Gossip Girl and To Kill a Mockingbird, the big three. Yeah. Um, and this book didn't start getting censored until like Mr. Reagan himself. Literally. Yeah. 1980, yeah. which is like a direct result of, of Reaganism is yes. this book being censored, which this book Reading it now, it's, it, uh, first of all, the sex stuff it talks about is very, very tame. They don't, no one has sex in this book. No. And also it's like, it that that does still kind of enrage me over the fact that um, maybe it was censored because of girls getting their periods, which is something that- I don't- Yeah. Well, that's why Judy Bloom's um, kids library, uh, like school library wouldn't put it in. Yeah, see, I, my argument is this. I think that explicitly what was being said was that, oh, we can't have girls getting their periods in literature. The big problem here is clearly the Christianity stuff. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that you, like, it's easier to stay, stay with a straight face, like, oh, of course we can't have things coming out of girls' vaginas in a children's library. Mm -hmm. I think that what was, I think that, if it was just the period stuff and none of the Christianity stuff, we're not getting mm-hmm. the censorship of this book. Yeah. It's a little wild that it, this, like the, cause basically I think most people remember this book and rightfully so, cause this is a big part of it about like both an exploration of like what it's, what it's like to like essentially be a preteen on the verge of puberty. Like, you know, thinking about like, okay, when am I going to grow boobs? When am I going to get my period? Whatever. Than all these like proto kind of sexual developments. And that is a big part of it. But the, I guess like kind of the A plot of this book, honestly, is Margaret is the um, daughter of a Jewish father and a Christian mother who've decided that they're not a religious family and that Margaret can choose her own religion if she wants to. 
um, but they're not holding her to any religion. Um, on both sides, she has grandparents who want her to to be their religion. Um, and it honestly, like, is a, like, the book essentially ends with Margaret being like, you know what, like, I don't know what religion I am, um, and that's okay. But however, throughout the whole thing, she essentially has, like, an, a, a relationship with God. And I thought that that was really interesting because mm-hmm. I think that the main kind of complaint that, like, you know, people being like, oh, this is like anti-Christian or whatever, is the idea that one could have a relationship with God and not be Christian. Yeah. And I thought, I don't know, I thought this was like really, I, it's it's a super like progressive book for, for 1970. Yes. And it's, yeah, it's great. Well, it's here's really the thing. Good. 1970, like following like, you know, all of the sort of social change of the late 60s, 1970, you know, obviously we have like, I'm not saying that the progressivism that we saw then is comparable to mm-hmm. like the progressivism we see now. Obviously, that's not what I'm saying. But like, it was a very like, like people were really interested in social progress yeah. At this time. And the reason that we have, at least my conception, and obviously, like, you know, everyone feel free to correct me if you if you don't agree. But to me, the reason that, like, we don't think of it as such is because of the following Reagan years. And because, mm-hmm. you know, like, the white Christian hegemony got freaked out by the social progress of the late 60s and the early mm-hmm. 70s and started to close in and be like, women— get those perky little butts back in the kitchen and make us a damn sandwich um, because we're doing fucking trickle-down economics again. Mm-hmm. Um, and this book, I feel like, is an excellent time capsule of what the regular, you know, the regular degular folks like you and me mm-hmm. were really thinking about in the early 70s in terms of, like, what is a, like, this is obviously a family with two, you know, um, straight, arguably white parents deciding that they're going to live a way that generations before have not lived without religion. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was the most interesting part of the novel. Like all of the body stuff, all of the growing up stuff, that's what ties you in as a kid. But the really cool thing is seeing like that scene, and maybe it's because I felt at least some, somewhat of a personal connection to it because of my own experience. But the scene where Margaret's mother's parents who are very Christian come to town and it creates conflict between the parents because her parents refuse to acknowledge her marriage to Margaret's father because he was mm-hmm. Jewish. And they're trying to rebirth that relationship. I thought that was one of the most poignant scenes we've read for the podcast ever because it was just yeah. so honest while also being, like, not bullshitty for children. Right. And I think I think what strikes me about that, reading it as an adult, is, like, the mom has, the Christian mom has had this hard relationship with her parents because they choose not to recognize her marriage to to her husband. And essentially what, you know, this book Climax is because she had sent um, her parents like a holiday card. And then so their parents got like um, their new address and, and came to visit. And like reading it as an adult, you can really understand more of why the mom does the things she does like with her parents and like, I don't know, it, it was just like really, yeah, the family dynamics in this book are are very truthful and yeah. I think empathetic towards both of the parents. And like the different gender dynamics that we see play out during the different like parental relationships we see depicted. I mean, like not to be totally 
us and like immediately as adults grab this novel and be like, I'm interested in the adults, the parents, because, um, but that's just how I am because ostensibly because this is the 1970s and things are still, you know, days of your ish, mm-hmm. like these parents are pretty close to our age. Right. Um, they're probably in their early 30s uh, during the action of the novel. So, you know, we do relate to them more probably than we relate to the kids. But the different, so like certain mothers and certain fathers have a more traditional gender relation, like a gender dynamic in their relationship. Margaret's parents seem to have like a lot of gender parity. At the end, mm-hmm. we see Margaret's grandmother come back from her Florida vacation with a new boyfriend and like they're in their 60s and it's like how does that relationship work like it's very like it's very thoughtful while also being like put together in a way that like a kid could at least subconsciously understand as like presenting some sort of like progressive vision of what relationships and what sex even can look like yeah absolutely yeah and i think that like it also even at the beginning, like, the grandma, um, the dad's mom shows up unannounced. And we do get, mm-hmm. like, kind of a funny scene between the parents where they're like, guess who's here? Um, <laughs> so there was even some, like, mother-in-law, um, your mother-in-law um, strength <laughs> kind of in this book. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I really, like, Judy Bloom. I'm I'm excited to read some more novels by her because mm-hmm. this is a, as, like, because I never read this book when I was younger. But, um... I remember a lot of her books, like, they do involve, like, families. Like, at the beginning of the novel, Margaret's family moves from New York City into the suburbs in New Jersey. They do involve a lot of families moving from cities to suburbs. And how does that family's, like, I guess more progressive, like, history, how does that situate them within, like, white, suburban, patriarchal, like, Mm -hmm. regular, degular hood? Um, And I just, I think that's so genius to do with kids' novels. And it's obviously not something you pick up on as a kid, but it it totally is, like, it's a really great inciting incident. Yeah, and what I also like about Judy Bloom's books is I think um, perhaps now in YA, the trend can be more towards extremes in terms of the kids' social status, right? Like, you're either totally an outcaster or you're one of the most popular girls in school. And what Judy Bloom does, and I would think, um, also, you can see in the Winnie years, the Learn Miracle books, a ton of, you know, Judy Bloom influence, like, yeah. like a ton, is they situate kids who are um, kind of in a moral gray area on a lot of things like, oh, I feel bad about bullying this girl, but I'm going to do it because my friends are or whatever, which is much, so much more realistic, I think, to what what most children uh, grow yes. up with. Yeah. And I, that seems kind um, of novel to me, honestly. Yeah, it's similar to what we talked about with um, with the the last Win Years episode we did, where I brought up the um, that Annie Dillard memoir, An American Childhood, mm-hmm. that's really like an interesting sort of experiment and like a memoir of like your consciousness forming, and that's really like where we meet this character in this book, and it's it's more explicit, obviously, because we have mm-hmm. her like sort of religious discernment happening as the Mm -hmm. A-plot. But, like, it is really interesting to take on, when you're writing a novel for children, like, that question of how does a consciousness form? Because it takes you back to 
reflecting on things that you don't necessarily have the brain space and memory to reflect on. So like a lot of creativity kind of comes out and like, how did this happen? Like, how did I encounter ideas of um, my changing body? Like, what was that like? Because a lot of our brain, at least in my experience, does a lot of work to kind of like narrativize that into something that is more ABC than like what is actually true, which is that, you know, it's a weird flowy continuum of like time and space. Yeah, absolutely. Was there anything you didn't like about this book? Hmm. Well, I mean, I guess they resolve it, but I didn't like the tall girl uh, bullying of a girl because she was tall. Um, Slander. I, I, I guess like some of the charm of this book is that it is written very like, I don't know, like day in the life, essentially. Like it, it is dealing yeah. with kind of these bigger issues, but it's very like, you know, the period talk will be, or the religion talk will be in the same chapter as like, and then when we came into class today, our seats were arranged in the shape of a U or whatever, instead of like they were yesterday, like all the, but to me, that is very kind of like realistic of how a child's brain works in terms of like, yeah, things are, are very similar importance. I mean, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think I can think of anything that I, I didn't like. What about you? I don't know. That's kind of why I asked, because I'm trying to think of, like, one solid piece of criticism to level at this. Mm-hmm. And I, I really can't. Like, I don't, like, I struggle to say, like, it's a perfect book. But there's a reason why it's such a classic. And you can read it as an adult in 2021 and be like, holy shit. Like, this yeah. is really good. And, like, I feel like I learned something by yeah. reading this. Um. So let's go through some of the some of the major plot points just just for fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know what this book is about. But basically, the the premise, as we kind of said, it's like this girl she moves from New York City to the suburbs in New Jersey with her family. Um, she's not religious, and she has these um, in the book. They appears like these little italicized, almost like verse sections. Mm-hmm. Um, where she talks to God and she asks God questions or just kind of offers reflections on her day or Mm -hmm. what she's seen. Um, And she is, um, like any sixth grader, sort of nervous about, like, what puberty is going to bring on and is she going to get her period or is she going to be, you know, like, different and weird? Um, Like, what are the kids at school going to think of her? She meets these this new group of friends and they form this, like, secret society. Mm -hmm. The and then she, the preteen sensations. Yeah, an incredible. I wish that was the name of this podcast. Um, and yeah. so we just get kind of like her reflections on her life in middle school as she's, I guess, awaiting not only sort of some sort of heavenly revelation, but also like for her period to come. Um, mm-hmm. And. So it's mostly just, like, little sketches and vignettes of, like, things that happen in her life. So we can uh, talk about a few of our favorites. Um, mm-hmm. Where do you want to well, start? Well, it has the trope. It has the trope that I find the hardest to read as an adult, which I think we've encountered in both prep and the Winnie years. I think in prep, but um, definitely in the Winnie years, which is children bullying a teacher. Oh, I'm so excited to talk about this. Yeah, because they have a new teacher. Oh, well, I did like this. There's some... And I think some of this book has been updated. I tried to find more specific examples, but I know for a fact that in the original 1970s book, they talked about like menstrual belts. Um, oh, and then really? they changed that. They updated it to be um, like adhesive pads, which kind of makes sense because those belts aren't around anymore. But yeah. I couldn't find a list of anything else, but something that 
was I was interested in is on the first day of sixth grade, they have this new teacher who's a man. And it uh, he gives them this questionnaire. It's like, what do you like? What don't you like? Whatever. And then one of the questions is, what do you think of male teachers? And I thought that that was really interesting because perhaps that was not a taboo, but like, do you, do you think that was like a bigger rarity in the 70s than, than Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, because just of like, I mean, like, just because of the gender dynamics we were talking about. I mean, like, if mm-hmm. you talk to your parents, not like, so our parents are roughly the same age as this protagonist in this book, a little bit yeah. younger. I know. I think almost, I mean, it's, if it's 1970 and she's, yeah, maybe slightly younger, but yeah, they would have been like yeah. eight or uh, four, I guess my parents would have been when this book came out. So, yeah. So like, you know, they're roughly contemporary to this protagonist. If you talk to your parents, I guarantee you, especially in elementary school, neither of your parents had a male teacher. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, That's interesting. I... Well, Franny, let me ask you, what do you think of male teachers? Um, what do I think of male teachers? Um, I'll deflect. I'll say the same answer, Margaret. Did I think they are the opposite of female teachers? Okay, that's Which good. Which I thought that I, was good. But yeah, no, I think it's, um, I did think that his characterization was interesting in this book because um, that kind of power play of the children against him, I think, was even more striking that since he was a, a guy in this book. Yeah, I'll tell you what I think of male teachers. For several years of my life, I've wanted one of them, any of them, to throw me a bone and fuck me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Not anymore, but that was a place where I once was. Um, Yeah, yeah, I I mean, this—I went to an all-girls high school, as, you know, listeners of the pod know. And I think I've talked about this before. Male teachers— if you don't come out the gate gun blazing, acting like a fucking asshole on day one, you will get bullied to mm-hmm. shit by the women that you teach. Like, we, any of the guys that showed any weakness, it was open fucking season. We tormented them. We were so disrespectful. I shudder, like, I won't even bring up the certain, the things we did to male teachers. I had a teacher once who was, like, so enraged with my class. And I guess he saw me because I was like, it was an elective. I was one of the only seniors in the class. Mm -hmm. He saw me as the voice of the reason in the class. And he took me by my collar out into the, into the, you know, not literally, but like, yeah, like he took me out into the hallway one day and got in my face and was like, you need to go in there and calm every, he literally said, calm everybody the fuck down before I go apeshit. Oh my God. And this guy was wow. probably like our, like how old we are. Like he's probably, he was probably like 24 or 25 when this happened. Yeah. And like, like I, like, I don't think he was inappropriate when he told me to do that. Like, I think that he did, I think he did the right thing by being like, I am going to pass this responsibility off onto someone else because the way that I have been treated by these young women mm-hmm. is so horrendous. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, I just totally, I laughed so hard at the male teacher thing because, like, in my experience, like, male teachers, especially in, like, girls' schools, like, you guys, Mm -hmm. like, braver than the U.S. Marines, legitimately. Yeah. I think that's interesting. Like, when you said that uh, you were hoping that one of your male teachers would throw you a bone, 
Like, I, I think that that's, we, and we've seen this in Pretty Little Liars, but I feel like in a lot of kind of media portrayals, there's a lot of um, teen boys lusting after um, female teachers. And I, I feel like probably the opposite is, is a bit more realistic because, oh, like, I thinking of like male teachers I had a, a crushes on in high school, like it's, it's like, um, I mean, you can see why, like it, it's, when you are so surrounded by like uh, juvenile uh, adolescent boys, like you can see why that becomes kind of a safe, essentially fantasy to engage in. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like, yeah, it's the ultimate because like, you know, not to be like totally binary, but like what causes, like what turns women on sexually about men? Like men who are like kind, men who give them attention, men who seem to like be stable and have interests and have like their shit figured out. And like men who wear shoes that aren't New Balances. Like Mm -hmm. all of these things, what I'm describing right now is a high school history or English teacher. Like Right, yeah. (laughs) um, So I just, I don't know. I think that I think that you're correct and that the, like, in real life, yeah. I think women want to fuck their male teachers way more than men want to fuck their female teachers. Yeah. And a lot of that, I think, is why it becomes so disgusting both, and not that this happened to me as a teen, but, like, reading about it in Pretty Little Liars, when the the male teacher engages, I think a lot of that is why it becomes then immediately so disgusting is because it's, yes. like, this is a safe a, a safe uh, space that that you've invaded, kind of. Um, Absolutely, you've yeah. you've broken a sacred bond that is supposed yeah. to be a one way lust and affection. Like you are not supposed to, uh, you're not supposed to engage at all. All you have to do is exist. You're holding up right. your end of the bargain simply by reading, you know, my papers that I write. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about the. Uh, the dinner party. So one of the children's yes. families, like one of the wealthier <laughs> children, hosts a dinner party. Uh, his family, Margaret, remarks uh, that his house is much bigger than the houses of the other people, you know, who yeah. she's and it has glass with tables. Yeah, which, yeah. Height if I had fashion. a glass table, no children would be coming to my house. Dude, I'm it not would, even, children don't come to my house and I a glass table, I know that it would take about 30 seconds before I scratch that shit up. I think you do have to be wealthy because you've got to be constantly replacing those. And acetate Girl. as well. I'm going to say it. Acetate looks great, but I know that it's getting greasy with finger goo. I like. I feel like some of our listeners probably do have acetate tables. And I want to call you guys in right now and just say that is disgusting. If you have an acetate now, table— I think and I I disagree. I respect people who can have an no. acetate table and maintain it, dude. It's I, hubris. I know that I couldn't. Yeah. Well, they're. I mean, I don't know, dude. Do you know anybody alive that could possibly properly care for, for an acetate uh, maintain table? Maintain an acetate table. Um, Michelle Obama. No, I don't. <laughs> We've already becoming. We know yeah, what we she know. does. She's get those acetate tables. Um, no, I think an acetate table is hubris. You, like, who are you to believe that you will properly care for that thing <laughs> is what I would ask our listeners that who have an acetate of, table. of the mid-2000s. Uh, 
I'm being serious right now. If you have an acetate table, I want you to take up, I want you to take a, a far picture of it. And then I want you to take like four or five up close pictures of it and DM it mm-hmm. to us on Instagram. And I'll let you know if you're properly taking care of it. Because I guarantee you the answer is no. Um, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> they have a, the the child hosts a dinner party uh, and all of the children <laughs> are just so fucking jazzed for this dinner party. They're all like, we're going to dress up like, we're going to, you know, like uh, Margaret's mother files her nails. Franny, when did you, like, when did you attend your first dinner party? I think that not until college. Oh, like, okay. I had a, I think one of my high school um, friends, I guess, loosely, had like a like a holiday quote unquote cocktail party, but of course, it, I love like it. His parents were home. Like, um, oh, you know what? I think I had a dinner party for my 18th birthday. Ugh. Um, where my dad made pasta, Ugh. pasta like carbonara, kind of adjacent. It was really, really oh good. my god. Um, but I can't think of any before that. I mean, I feel like if I was eating dinner with friends, it would be. Um, and definitely with a mixed gender group. I mean, that was one of the most um, stress-inducing experiences. Some of among the some of the most of my of my life. Yeah, I attended a dinner party. Uh, it was potluck style. I was twelve years old. Mm-hmm. I wore the dress I had worn in my middle school production of. Um, High School Musical, in which I played Sharpay. I wore my my dress I had bought for the Bop to the Top number. Um, you had to buy your own costumes? Yeah, dude. I went, I was like public school. I mean, I guess you went to public school too, but in middle school, like my mom yeah. had to shell out for like six different outfit changes for <laughs> oh my, my role of Sharpay. She's still bitter about it. Like, because I remember my mom, this is so fucking humiliating. My mom bought me all these costumes and I came in and you had to come and present your costumes to, like, uh-huh. the costume mom. And my mom spent, like, my mom probably shelled out at least $200 at Limited too, if I were to, like, guess in today's money, adjusted for inflation. Yeah. And I remember half of the costumes, I had to have six outfits, half of the costumes, the costume mom rejected. She was like, no, it's not giving on, like, my chubby 12-year-old little Dude, body. that's crazy. The fact that you had costume changes, I think, is ludicrous. Yeah, it's, I mean, as soon as, like, so there was, like, a regime change while I was in middle school, and as soon as the regime changed, there were no longer costume changes, and the parents were given money. But it used to be, like, a very old-world type thing where it was, like, if you want your kid to look hot up on that stage, you better shell out, bitch. And also, there's a risk. I could come in and tell you your kid is not allowed to wear that on stage. Um, Right. So I wore my, my dress that I bought for the Bop to the Top number— it was very fabulous, very chic. Um, mm-hmm. I brought a frozen Sara Lee pound cake, and um, a great, a great dessert to this day. One of my so faves. good. I literally, I will be a giant eagle, and I will like walk by where the frozen cakes are every single time I am there. I think about buying a frozen Sara Lee, not a pound cake, but a coconut cake. Dude, I'm girl after my own heart. I'm always getting that Pepperidge Farm coconut cake. I think that's what oh I've had, God. like, as my birthday cake for the past couple of years. It's my favorite. I literally, it's like, I was just at the grocery store yesterday after getting off the plane. I was walking through the aisle. Nothing in my carpet is spindrift. I 
stand in front of the frozen coconut cake for a solid like 15 seconds being like, is today the day that I do it? Um, And I should have, but I didn't. Um, If you guys hear my boyfriend cooking in the background. (laughs) That's just, it's not fried chicken. It's just you peeing. It's just just me peeing. Oh my God. Um, He's wearing like noise canceling headphones. So he has like no idea how much noise he's making. It's... The noise canceling AirPods are causing a strange strain on my relationship. Can't do nothing about that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it's actually ASMR. It's not a mistake. Yeah. This is this is free ASMR. Um, I'm trying to think about is there another like is there another moment here that you want to talk well, about in this book? Let's talk more about the dinner party, please. Um. So it had the classic. One of the scariest experiences that you can have as a kid, which is a friend's parent getting mad at you. Yes. Which I still have several of those moments just like locked in my memory. Um, Please give me one. When I was driving with my friend, um, like we were carpooling and she was, I think, deciding if she wanted to do dance or soccer. And I was like, well, could you do both? And uh, the mom was like, actually, Franny, no, she can't because it's too expensive, which is a fair justification. But like, number one, why are you having that conversation in front of me? And number two, I don't know. I'm a child. I don't know how much soccer costs. So. That is so, that's so rude. Like, yeah. I like that's a mom. That's a mom with a fucking, like having a bad fucking day. I think yeah. that it's like, I think that it's inappropriate to, like, I think that it's appropriate to talk to your kids about the fact that things cost money, but I think it's inappropriate to, like, shame your child for, like, wanting to do, like, too expensive activities. Like, a kid has no concept of, like, fucking money. Like, that's just, it's, uh, like, I always think it's so gauche when, like, like, you can immediately tell when you talk to a child and they start being, like, um, like if they're like, like I, like the kids I used to babysit, like one of them one time was like, these shoes are really expensive that I'm wearing. Ugh. Um, and I'm like, why did your parent like, like what was like, I think it's like, obviously it's like, you know, people's families experience money in different ways, but like to look at your child and be like, I hate you because I had to buy you these expensive shoes <laughs> is like, it's just I hate going to you translate. Because I had to buy you six costume changes for Sharpay. <laughs> right. High exactly. Yeah. I just, I think it's like, it's, it always is unsettling when all of a sudden a small child is like, well, I, um, it uh, actually, my shoes are really expensive or like, especially yeah. yelling at somebody else's child about like soccer and, ballet or whatever it was being too Mm -hmm. expensive it's like come on give me a break I have no concept of like finance um I remember one time my my good friend who I you know still friends with to this day uh my friend Tori we've been friends since we were in kindergarten and um we used to carpool to soccer as a kid and Mm -hmm. one time we were making up a song like, you know, we were, like, six or seven years old. And we were, like, making a song mm-hmm. up a song about, like, butts and, like, singing it together. <laughs> and I said the word fart, and her dad, like, turned <laughs> the mirror around on me and, like, and like yelled at me and was, like, you cannot say that word in, the, in my car. And, it, like, I found out later on, you know, because I obviously still know these people, that her dad just has a specific aversion to that word. Like, it just, like, disgusts him. <laughs> but he oh. was, like, fully, like— like, 
he put the fear of God in me. I don't think I said fart again for like five years because I was like, I didn't realize that was a bad word. Like I have so many experiences because my parents, like at least my, I should say in case they're listening, my father specifically, (laughs) like never was not cursing around us. Like he, like there's a very famous, my my dad would call us little pricks and he would be like, you little pricks. Like, and he told us, like, I remember asking, I literally remember this moment being like, what does prick mean? And he said, I'm, it's a word I made up. So of course then <laughs> I'm going around calling people pricks because I had no idea that it like, because yeah. my fucking dad lied to me because he thought it would be easier than him <laughs> being like, I'm sorry, I've been saying a bad word. And so what like, is your then, friend's dad aversion to this? Like, did she explain to you why he's, uh, so he hates the word fart? No, but I I could mouthfeel. I I could. I I will. I'm supposed to get together with her this week, so I will ask. Okay, Um, cool. uh, Because I think it's. I think it's worth knowing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, Um, What the other thing that happens at this party is they have two two minutes in heaven, which is just enough. Yeah, just enough, honey. That's all you need. and one thing that, like, we haven't talked a lot about in this book is kind of, like, the development of Margaret's crushes on boys. One of the things I found interesting is the uh, four PTs, uh, the PTS, the preteen sensations, um, keep lists of, like, boy books in which they rank the boys that they like. And th- there's consistently, there's this guy, like, Phil Leroy in the book mm-hmm. who is uh, desired by these girls because he is handsome, which that makes sense, but also because other girls think he's handsome, which yes. I thought that that was very interesting. Yeah, I think that's classic because the whole thing, like she does a great job of describing in this book that feeling of like pre-sexual crushing, which mm-hmm. is all just sort of like socially constructed, like like I should like this person because everybody else likes this person. Um, and that's why I have a crush on this person. And the thought of actually engaging in any sort of even cheek kissing is like the most most horrifying thing you can possibly think of. And the the doing of any kissing is more as a way of like something, gaining something that you, that you can report back to your girlfriends rather than actually engaging with this person in a romantic way. Um, yeah. She does get to dance with Phil Leroy at the square dance. Um mm-hmm which is of an appropriately humiliating dance that the uh, PTA puts on for the sixth graders. Um, Franny, did you have any middle school dances? I believe we did have to learn square dancing at some point, but I don't remember the details. The one that I do remember is that we had an inaugural ball when Obama was elected. And I specifically re- my, remember my teachers in front of us saying, and it's like, okay, I, I do agree with... Um, I'm I'm assuming their political beliefs, but they were like, should we still do one if uh, McCain wins? Wow. Like they said that in front of the kids, which I'm like, I feel like this is a public school. Like probably you shouldn't be doing an inaugural ball at all. But um, I don't know, like the, uh, and I think that we had to do some like classical dancing, though I don't remember actually doing it. This is and genius. I, I think of, yeah. And I, I think I also have, of course, talked about uh, my bar mitzvah experience where yeah. it was the snowball dance and, and no one picked me. Oh, yeah. My heart. Mm. Uh, wait, I, I, sorry. I need to, I need to delve a little bit deeper into this 
should we still do one mm-hmm. if McCain wins situation. That's really, that is, wow, that really piques my interest. Yeah. Because it they said that, you know, in front of everybody. One, I can see, <laughs> like, I would say the overwhelming population at the school I know you went to was probably liberal. So I can see them yeah. feeling comfortable maybe saying that, like, right. but from I, I that think it's perspective. Like, yeah, but that, that being said, I think— I would must have been in fifth grade. And yeah, that's and I do I think on one hand, like we had the unique experience of, of being like uh, essentially cognizant when Obama was elected. Right. Like, yeah, that was historic in many ways. And I and I but it's like I wonder if they did that for past presidents as well. I think it was more about the historicness of a, a black president being elected, which I, which yeah. I do get. But then it's like okay, but is this an event because there's an inauguration happening or is it specifically for Obama? And I, I found that very bold that they said, and obviously I still remember it. It's still locked in my right. brain, so. I, yeah, uh, I think it's like, there's something so, well, I just remember, I think we were in sixth grade when Obama was inaugurated because I remember mm-hmm. the classroom I was sitting in watching the inauguration. I believe it was a middle school classroom. There's something so like that like so pure about that that like looking back it like almost certainly like wasn't actually the case like this is just like a child's eyes but like it did seem like everybody regardless of like politically mm-hmm. where they stood was like t- patting themselves on the back for having elected a black president which you know there's bad things about that but there's also like good cool celebratory things about that when you're a kid mm-hmm. and you can like talk about the uh, historicism of the moment but right. i also think it's like i so like going back i'm so sorry but i am going to go back to tiktok for a moment which is mm-hmm. like i i've seen a lot of tiktoks where it's like somebody being like um oh like you raise your kid as a Christian? Well, I'm their feminist, anarcho, non-binary preschool teacher, and I'm going to tell them about Marx. And it's like, (laughs) there is something, like, that is, like, really upsetting to me about that, where it's like, why are you teaching these kids about Marx? Like, they shouldn't have to know who Marx is until they're, like, nine. This is a Marxist perspective, um, of making a necklace out of macaroni. Right. Where I'm like, like, I want to, I would actually love to dialogue with one of these people being like, what specifically are you teaching the kids about Marx? Like, are you like, every time they share a toy with someone, are you being like, mm, Cassidy, you're doing <laughs> socialism praxis, baby. Like, what's actually, yeah. like, what are you I actually think- saying? Like, are you stunting for TikTok or are you yeah. like, imbuing these children with um <laughs> socialism. I think I think the thing with that is it's like I wish I had the political mindset that I did uh as an 8-year-old, right? Like I wish that it was that black and white and I think keep children Now this is I don't know. That I think that's a different statement that I'm saying about when I was uh coming of age when Obama was elected versus kind of this the political sphere as it is now, um, where things have kind of just have like extremified. I know that's not a word, but like um sure the the like kind of like yeah, but like I think children I, I wonder how much like kids today like know or think they know about politics. I remember uh, the previous election to Obama, I guess the second George Bush term, 
the big debate in my class was whether John Kerry looked like a Muppet or not. Like someone said, right. that. and there was a lot of, well, my parents are voting for blah, blah, blah. And I do think that's interesting as like a power uh, contrast. I don't know. It's just interesting yeah. because I, I frankly don't think children should have to think about the, uh, no. our, uh, dying democracy. Personally. I mean, I had no idea. Like I, I ask my parents now about like, like certain things that happened in the Bush years and like what they were talking about with each other and what they were mm-hmm. thinking about. And one, I had this argument with a law school friend the other day where um, we were talking about like, like the way that we think back on those years as a nation is way different than like what was actually happening because mm-hmm. of like the polarization in like, not to say the media, but like what has been portrayed throughout time. So like right. I was talking the to a friend. Of the 24-hour news cycle. Exactly. Like yeah. I was talking to a friend who he's like five or six years older than us. <laughs> he's like five and, or six. Yeah, he's five or six. <laughs> one of my one of my colleagues. Um, I was talking to a friend who's like five or six years older than us. And I was like, we were having this argument about 9-11. And he was like after, and I was like, we were talking about because we were watching like the Disney Channel, like, 9-11 propaganda. Um, oh, my God. Which, Wait, I, what is that? Oh, girl, it's so bleak. It's, like, basically after 9-11, they had, like, these, like, Disney Channel kid actors filming little, like, spots about, like, this is what the flag means to me. And it's oh. just, like, it's, yeah, it's really, it's it's dark. But um, we were talking about that, and I was, like, this is, like, so wild to me that, like, that people put up with this. Like, it's crazy Mm -hmm. to me that this was not, like, it's crazy to me that you can still find clips of this on the internet and this wasn't something that people, like, like, I don't know. Like, it's crazy to me that this got on TV. And he was explaining, you know, because he was, like, 10 when 9-11 happened. He was like, well, what you have to understand is that everybody, even people who were, like, considered themselves to be, like, moderate or, like, even, like, left-leaning. Like, everybody was, like, out for, like, like um, revenge, essentially. Like, everybody, like, mm-hmm. wanted, like, to avenge 9-11. And I was, like, I literally, because I was, like, I then had this conversation with my parents where I was, like, I literally don't think this is the case. Like, I remember, like, my father and I had this whole conversation about how, like, and my parents aren't, like, by any means, the pinnacle of progressivism, um, you know, no mm-hmm. one is. And they're not even people who would even, like, label themselves as progressives. Like, they probably, at the time, in 2001, thought of themselves very much as moderates. Them and the people that they knew had a very clear ABC of, like, this, like, the war that, you know, came after 9-11 being very much a sort of invention of— like, George Bush and his Mm -hmm. desire to, like, get into the Middle East. Like, this was not something that people had, like, that people were confused about. Not everybody, Mm -hmm. like, this was not this mass movement of people wanting to, like, go in and kill terrorists. Like, that's, like, that is, in a lot of ways, like, taking a minority opinion and blowing it up to, like, explain a whole phenomenon. Um, Yeah, but I think— I don't know. It's it's hearing about all that stuff is so interesting to me and just like the like, you know, essentially like quote unquote patriotism. And but even like not thinking about like um I guess like putting aside the war part of it, just like the the response in the media 
like in the days after 9-11 happened. And of course, you know, my one framework for this is, uh, who is it? Rudy Giuliani going on SNL and saying, yeah, yeah, well, it's okay to do comedy again. Yeah, Yeah, whatever. But um, I don't know, like that is so interesting to me. And I do feel like there's a big, essentially like chunk of context that we are missing in our current view of, politics and I think even like how we experience like the Trump presidency Mm. that is because we were born after 9-11 happened yes and even like and this is obviously not political but like even we were born before 9-11 yeah the idea of home alone um could not uh have happened in a post 9-11 world right like all these like airport when you watch movies and they like go up to the gate at the airport like that is so shocking to me yeah and you know it but whatever like I do I do really think like us having been born before 9-11 and not remembering it, you know, we were like four years old. Like, I really just think that that has, is such, like, that's just such probably a specific framework for how we view stuff and, and politics, especially versus people who uh, had, were conscious before and after 9-11. Yeah. And I, I feel like we're getting away from, from, maybe why we started talking about this because I brought in the 9-11 of it all and I apologize for that. But I think the main point is that it's like, it's so warped the way that you introduce like a political education to children Mm -hmm. and it can connect like to everything. And we see it, like the main place that we see it in this book is like ideas of gender and religion in the way Mm -hmm. that maybe the two interact. Yeah, and there's also like, an interesting thing to me uh, in this book was uh, the mother's parents are very obviously conservative Christian or like, well, of course, Margaret, you know, you have to let God into your life. Like, of course you should be a Christian. Like, then they're like, oh, well, your mother's Christian. So you're Christian. It's settled, whatever. And then the grandma who is by all accounts, like much more liberal, um, but is, who is still religiously Jewish, essentially kind of has the same reaction to Margaret. Like, well, of course you're Jewish. And I thought that that was very interesting. And like this book kind of explained well the way that like even when adult figures in one's life think that they're like letting you make your own choice, they often are are not actually. And, you know, right. you still are, they still have a track that they want you to to go on. Yeah. And I think, I think that's maybe if I were to level, to get back to something I asked earlier, maybe if I were mm-hmm. to level one criticism at this book, it's a little, it's, it lacks believability for me in the sense where, like, most children, like, if adults tell them to do something enough, they're absolutely going to do it. And then Mm -hmm. as they mature, like, you are going to form to— your belief is going to form that that was actually something spontaneous that you decided yourself. Mm -hmm. And for me, the Margaret has such a close relationship with her grandma. She wants to be just like her grandma. She wishes at times that she was even living with her grandma. If her grandma is telling her she's Jewish, mm-hmm. that little kid's going to be Jewish. Like, that's the biggest thing to me where I was like, you know, Margaret sitting in a in a temple and reflecting on how she's not having a religious, spiritual experience. Like, mm-hmm. That's not how religion is formed in kids. Like, I I don't actually necessarily believe that a child would sit in a temple and be like, am I connecting to God right now? I think that a child would be like, I like my grandma and I want to be like her and I also have this desire to please her and therefore I am Jewish. I I think something that, like, is, like, at one point Margaret's like, 
uh, when she's especially kind of mad about like this fighting between her mom's parents and um, her parents, she's like, when I have kids, I'm just going to tell them what religion they are. And that's like, to me, like a very kind of poignant point of this book, which is she is kind of like the disconnect of uh, essentially like religious labels that we as Americans kind of like to put on ourselves and versus like the actual essentially like connection with the deity that one can have. Because, you know, I'm like very agnostic, um, Mm. you know, like leaning atheist probably just because of the way the world is. Like, it's very hard for me to imagine um, a benevolent higher power, unfortunately. Um, But like, I think that that is... Like there, because another big thing this book is like she's literally like, okay, well, am I going to go to the um, like Jewish recreation? I forget what the name of it is, or uh, the Y. Like, because that that is also such an important social Mm. strata for her of being like, am I going to go to the Y or am I going to go to the um, essentially, I guess, the Jewish version of the Y? And that was probably right, like something that people were taking uh, criticism with with in this book is kind of the idea that one can call themselves, you know, a Christian and that cannot actually mean anything to do with their relationship with with God. I don't know. Yeah, I, I like your point because I think that this book, I think that's what this book is actually doing, which is commenting yeah. on like the the fact that religion as we experience it as living people and, you know, specifically being like white people in the U.S. is almost all like, how we, it it almost all is like fully relational to how we think of ourselves culturally. Mm -hmm. I maintain my argument that the reason that people didn't like, people wanted to ban this book is because when Margaret's Christian grandparents show up and are Bible beating, they're the worst Mm -hmm. people in the world and they're portrayed as being the worst people in the world. And she looks at her grandma's cross necklace and is like, this is fucking weird. I think that yeah. hook, line, and sinker yeah. is why this book was so controversial. And I think that people can lie yeah. about it, but it's like that to me is the only thing I read where I was like, yeah, people probably didn't like this. Right. Yeah, because I am having trouble like imagining and, uh, you know, I guess listeners who were alive during this time, if there are any of you out there, let, let us know, like, was the idea of a period so controversial, like just in terms of like telling girls about it, like sure, awkward, but I I have a hard time believing that parents would not rather give the, their child a book than talk about their period to them. Absolutely. Like that's, that is, I think that we are smart people and that like we have good, like we have good instincts about like when we fully read a novel about what people latch onto as controversial. And I just, mm-hmm. I cannot picture there being any legitimate, like, I cannot picture somebody reading this and immediately getting, like, uh, geeked out by the period stuff. I think that you hit the Christianity criticism and then you go back to the period stuff as a way of being like, and also. Well, what really made me laugh was there was a part in this book where, um, and I'd like to wrap up on this, like, the idea of uh, having to do a period talk and having your class divided by uh, gender. And yeah. like the girls do something and the boys do something else. Um, something about it, this book that was very funny to me was that this the presentation on these girls and their changing bodies was given by the private lady company, which was like <laughs> uh, essentially um, like it was like, you know, a, a pad and tampon. A manufacturer, and then Margaret is like, "Wow, this is just basically one big advertisement." So I'm never going to buy this brand. 
of pads. I thought that that was very funny. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I I agree. And I just want to say really quickly that nothing good is ever about to happen when you uh, divide a group of children by gender. No. Did you did you have like a period talk in school? Absolutely. And we were divided by gender. And the really weird thing is that they put the girls with the school nurse and the boys with the principal. <laughs> that is weird. Oh. Isn't that kind of like perverted? It's That's like, funny. why was the principal involved? Yeah. It, and then it gets kind of fucked up too when you think about like, the idea that then just, like, two years later, children are expected to be, like, in seventh grade health and, like, actively mocked by their teachers for being embarrassed about talking about, you know, um, any sort of that stuff, like, as as a mixed group. Like, the the divides, the gender divides that the school itself has created are then, uh, children are mocked for uh, essentially buying into. Yeah, it's disgusting. Like, the whole whole business of it all is just, like, It's like they, it's, children aren't embarrassed about things. Children aren't born embarrassed about things. We are socialized to be embarrassed about these things. And then they bring you in and they're like, uh, why is everybody so fucking embarrassed? You fucking geeks. And it's like, shut up. Yeah. You did this. You shouldn't say the word fart. Yeah. It's your fault for saying fart that one time. (laughs) In my car. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I'm still mad about it. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We'll be back next week with the second Gossip Girl book. I am so excited to read that. I hope it's good. I haven't started it yet, but like, oh God, I really hope it's not bad. And I hope Mm -hmm. it's short. Short books for 2022. Yeah. you can find us on social media at Girls Like Us Show. You can follow the link in our bios um, on Twitter and Instagram at Girls Like Us Show to join our Discord. It's been popping off lately. Lots of fun conversations. That's also something I've been doing to like avoid mm-hmm. going on TikTok is like chatting with people in our Discord. And like the girls are always there. Like yeah. they're ready. Like if you've got questions, if you got memes, like we're always talking about it. It's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um you can find our lovely network and Frolic Sorority Sisters at frolic.media slash podcasts. Um, lots of good shows there. Everybody really stepping up their game for 2022. You can subscribe to our amazing Patreon so that I can keep telling people who are mean to me in bookstores that we make money um, <laughs> at patreon.com slash girls like us show. Um, we'll be doing two or three extra apps this month. Um, in there. And we've got some fun content planned. So um, definitely get in. Don't miss out on anything. And as always, a reminder I'll give you is that if you just want to pay $5 for this month, you can go into Patreon, subscribe to the RSS feed, and then download every single Patreon episode we've ever recorded. And then fucking cut your subscription and run. Like, yeah. we will not be offended. Yeah. And it's like, if you've got like and a we'll road trip you. coming up. Yeah. We'll like applaud you, actually. That is a uh, CEO boss money move. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, as always, our lovely producer is Camden Stacy, and our amazing theme music is by the wickedly talented one and only Leggy. Um, have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.